Welcome to the Casual Author Podcast. I'm Dan, sci-fi and fantasy author, father of six, full-time worker, homesteader, as well as a man of many other responsibilities. I'm here to bring you inspiration and positivity around having a busy life and wanting to chase that author career, even if you have to take a casual approach. For more information about me, my books, and the podcast, head to dankenner.com slash podcast. And here's the show. Hey there, it's Dan Kenner, and welcome to another episode of The Casual Author. Today is Monday, October 16th, 2023, as I record this, and this is episode number 93 of the podcast. Today, we're talking to C.J.R. Isley about how your expertise in anything can bolster and enhance your writing. So we talk a lot about her interest in medieval history, as well as in grooming and care for horses, how she's been able to incorporate that into her books to give it more validity and bring the world more into your perspective. So we talk a little bit about that expertise, where it came from and how she used that. And you'll want to stick around for that conversation. It's a really insightful and fun conversation. So in terms of updates to this past week, uh, I feel like a lot has happened. I say that every week, but on, on the homestead, things happen so frequently that it's hard to keep track of everything. I'm grateful and happy to say that we have completed the chicken run for our chickens, save for one gate. There's still one gaping hole in the permanent fence, but everything has been cemented. Fence has been secured, put up, and it is secure for those chickens. The only thing we need to do is get one more gate. When I went to go purchase that last week, they said they were sold out because they had a sale last month. So unfortunate that we missed that. But regardless, in the meantime, if we can't get a gate, you know, in the next couple of months, we need to put the chickens in before winter. I'll just put up some chicken wire, some hardware cloth. In the meantime, we don't need the second gate. We already have a gate put up that we'll use to go in and out. The second gate is for our compost. So what we're planning on doing this season is having a pretty complicated compost system. So we'll take you know, the manure and the chicken bedding and the other stuff out of the chicken coop and put it directly into the compost system. So that'll be right outside the run and we'll have that second gate to make it easy to access. Now we could just use the one gate and walk all the way around, but why not put in two since we had the means to do so? Uh, so that's what, what what I did this last Saturday. Additionally, we are, <laughs> I feel like I've been saying this for weeks now, we are finally ramping down on the preservation. Now, granted, my wife does a majority of this while I'm working and, and doing other things, but I do assist as often as I can. I have canned things before, I'm not as good at it as she is, but we have canned nearly 200 pounds of tomatoes, um, about 200, 250 pounds of pears and peaches that we purchased from, you know, local um, farms close by to us. Uh, we've also done a lot of cabbages we've made a lot of sauerkraut which is great no complaints coleslaw we have salsas um we've preserved squash and we're trying to figure out what to do with our pumpkins our pumpkin plants gave us like 25 pumpkins which is crazy because last year i think we got one and it was teeny tiny and i don't think it ever oranged up but we have 25 pumpkins so we're trying to decide what to do with those they were just kind of for fun <laughs> now we've got pumpkins to deal with um and then, of course, we got to sort out the goat houses and everything before the winter comes. So we have been trying to figure out the breeding schedule. We finally have a plan in place. 
it should put us, we'll be, we'll stop milking twice a day in the next couple of weeks, which is going to be amazing. I appreciate milking twice a day because we have more for making cheeses. We have more to pres- preserve, you know, freeze dry and put on our shelves. We have quite a bit already. Um, their milk production is decreasing kind of rapidly. It always happens at this time. And so we will start just milking once a day, probably until end of December, and then we'll stop milking altogether. So I know my wife is looking forward to that. It's one of those things where you can have a passion for something, you can love doing it, and then it's nice to take a break. So especially in the cold winter months, no one wants to be milking goats when it's negative 23 degrees outside. That's just not fun. Now we'll still have to feed and water them, figure out good solutions for keeping the water warm, the last couple of years, ever since we've had the goats, I have just walked buckets of water out multiple times a day, hot buckets of water. They last for, you know, five to six hours before they freeze. And then I just do it again. Not super great or sustainable, particularly when the road out to our, um, to where the goats are turns into a field of ice. But we'll deal with that another day. Hopefully we can solve that, come up with a solution. Um, other than that, everything is is looking really good. We'll be pulling out all the plants and cleaning up in the next week or two so we can prepare the ground for next year's harvest. We did plant garlic as well. You have to plant that before winter because then it has it has to be in before the winter so we can start growing in the spring. So we did put in tons of bulbs of, bulbs of garlic, which we're really excited about. Hopefully we have a better turnout than, than this year. We didn't get a ton this year, but then again, we didn't plant a ton. We were hoping that they would bulb out better and they didn't really. So we planted them more effectively this year, hoping it goes better. Now, other than that, I think the homestead is pretty stable. Um, Yeah, we're happy as can be. The animals seem to be thriving and having a blast. So in terms of author updates, the Cyber City Trilogy, this is a middle grade sci-fi trilogy that I co-authored with L. Blaze Hughes, has been completed and we've been working on the blurbs. Can I tell you that the blurbs are such a horrible thing to write? I love writing. I do like writing the blurbs to some degree, but there's something about trying to summarize all of this information that you knew and you wrote into a short, concise, and interesting bit of writing. It's so hard. So I've struggled with that. What I've done in the past with my editor is we would just each write our own versions of the blurb and then together just kind of mesh them and we come up with a pretty good description slash not necessarily description, but um, hook for the the stories. So I think Elblaze um, was able to mesh what I came up with and what she came up into something that's beautiful. Hopefully, I mean, I read them and I think they sound great, but you'll have to let me know. So maybe next week, once we have all that settled on the podcast, I'll read you the descriptions of the first uh, book and see, hey, is this something that I'm interested in? Now, we will be reaching the ARC read period. So if you have, um, you know, young children between the ages of eight and 12 or, you know, teenagers or even you as an adult like to read middle grade books, our up copies will be available to you. So it's a really fun trilogy that each book is only around 30 to 35,000 words. So they're quite short. Overall, we're looking at about 100,000 words uh, for the three books combined. But if you want to arc read that, it's so fun. The premise of it is essentially this society of people who have been put in a glass box. Uh, it's called Cyber City. It's just technology and noise. They have these headphones that are essentially um, built into their ears. They've been installed from when they were babies that have constant white noise. And it's just these two kids that are searching for silence. They're frustrated with all the noise and the lights and the video games, and they just want it to stop. 
but you know, they're just kids. So they don't know how to go about doing that. Obviously it gets more complicated, but I think you'll really like the story. It's a little bit uh, interesting considering our society and technology these days. So a little bit of a reverse perspective on that. So yeah, take, take a look at that. I think you'll enjoy it. Demon Blooded is moving along very well. I just reached about 18,500 words, had a great writing session today. I finally reached the flow of the story. I usually can get there about 12, 15,000 words. Got there a little bit earlier this time, and that's primarily because I have a different approach. Um, I'm coming at it a little bit differently. Um, I'm letting go a little bit easier when it comes to the pantsy. My writing has become a little bit more clear and flowing than it has before. You know, it took writing around 800,000 words to get to that point. But hey, you know, I got there and I'm happy about it. So each session seems to be doing well. I'd like to get that book fully written and then probably take a step back and look at Dragon Blooded, particularly because NaNoWriMo is coming up. Now, I don't normally play into NaNoWriMo. Um, but for some reason this year, I figured why, why not just do it? I've been, I've been able to hit the 50,000 words for the past few years, but I really would like to finish this book by the end of NaNoWriMo, which we're looking at about a hundred thousand words. So, you know, let's say I write another 10 to 15 before the end of October, that's going to give me, you know, do the math 60, 65,000 words to do before I finish the book. So optimistic and we'll see, but if I can get demon blooded by the end of November completed, that would make me so happy. We'll see if it actually happens. This week, I've been diving into Brian Cohen's author ad challenge. This is something I have done before. I wasn't as serious about it prior to this because I didn't have a complete series of books. Now the Light Bearer Chronicles is complete. So I've been diving into a little bit more um, if with a granular eye on everything, a really specific eye on everything, because I want to figure out how to do it. If I can get those books rolling a little bit better, uh, get some amount of income from that, then I'll be able to fund the next books, which I can write them quickly. It comes down to the editing and publishing piece that is not as quick for me, <laughs> but it's that's okay. You live, you learn. That's great. I don't believe I have any other updates for this week, so we can go ahead and shift over to the interview portion of the podcast. <music> Hey, Katie, how are you today? I'm good. How about you? Doing very, very well. Looking forward to chatting with you about all things medieval or anything related to it. I think it's awesome that you have such an interest in that subject. Before we dive into that, though, how long have you been writing and publishing? Uh, so the series that I'm publishing right now, I initially started it when I was 12. And between the ages of 12 and 17, I wrote it. And then I went to college and got what I thought was a real person job. Turns out it wasn't as entertaining. Uh, so I actually published the first one after a rewrite in 2020. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. I think it's funny how you refer to a real person job. So you are working full time, um, kind of in the same boat. You know, you got to work to eat type situation. Uh, what do you do for work then full time? Uh, I actually switched to part time here recently because nice. I was kind of weighing it out. And between, uh, I, I help with a family ranch and and the books and I was like okay I'm overwhelmed uh the other job I had is great for being a self-published author it is digital marketing okay well wow, that's perfect that's the perfect space it yeah it gives me a lot of insight and lets me kind of get a step forward when I go in and learn a new platform because at least I know the, the language behind it yeah, that's that's we'll probably touch on that because I didn't realize you had that background in digital marketing. That's really cool. Um, I do not. My background is in operational efficiencies, which I can do things efficiently, but that doesn't always mean a lot in terms of marketing. So 
Uh, that's a completely different subject. So I want to talk a little bit about, you talked a lot about having interest in horses as well as just all things medieval. Where does your love of this come from? Is this something that you've always been involved in since you were young? Uh, so the medieval aspect I've had kind of like an obsession with since I don't even know when it's kind of always been there. I think a large part of that is uh, my dad, when he went to college initially, he was a uh, medieval history major and then he switched to finance, but we were always raised with that. So he would read us, his first language is French and he would read us the Chevalier Ardant comic books. And those were highly fascinating to me. I didn't really care about any other comics. These are just, it's a medieval night. Um, and then the horses kind of go hand in hand with that, but we didn't get to be around them as much. Uh, I used to live outside of Philadelphia. So a little harder to have horses than a middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. And we moved out here, picked up a few horses when I was a teenager and I've learned a lot about training them. So it makes it really entertaining to incorporate that into writing. And I, I've definitely trained them non-conventionally. I train them to compete. And then I also train them how to do basic medieval sword fighting and stuff. Hmm. It's highly entertaining. Just go in and then it's practical. So you have a collection of swords, I would hope. Uh, I mostly use like a foam sword or like I take PVC that's wrapped in insulation for a horseback. I do have a real sword on my wall. Um, I've got one of these like plastic ones that I'll actually be using for training my my one mare uh, for a horseback. And then we've got some historical swords, but those are dads. So I haven't kidnapped those yet. Oh, yet. <laughs> yes. Does he, does he know about he doesn't hang them on his wall. I'm like, this is a waste. Well, I agree. I have some swords yeah. as well, and they're they're kind of laying around. I haven't. I don't, my walls are all blank. Though. I don't hang anything on my walls. That's oh, yours. Mine is are all, like covered, much like I say, yeah, yours is fancy. Look at your decorations and your books all displayed perfectly. I think that's awesome. Kudos to you. That looks great. Thank you. So, did so your love of medieval things obviously came from your dad's background and probably was just part of being raised. So do you feel like the story that you began writing when you were 12 was influenced a lot by these this love of medieval things? I would say, yeah, it was hugely influenced by that. Um, you know, I, I was definitely a child when I started writing it. So mm -hmm. I kind of wanted a character I could relate to. I I loved like the Harry Potter books. I like books that are character focused, uh, more adventure than romance or anything. And I wanted more like that. So I kind of like created this whole world as a child and then started writing the characters into it. That is so cool. That's so fun. And I, what I'm just curious to know, what were your initial reactions when you brought that out? Because you, you said you wrote it when you were 12, you kind of set it aside for years. I read your description and as I was learning about you. You set it aside until you were around 25-ish, and that's when you pulled it out. What were your thoughts as you read through this 12-year-old manuscript? I was really glad that uh, self-publishing wasn't around when I was mm. 12. Um, I definitely thought that I was like Mozart for the writing world. And then of I course. looked through it, I'm like, oh, oh no. So, you know, there was a lot of cleaning up. I kept pretty true to the plot lines. I am not a plotter at all. Mm -hmm. So just having that now is helpful. I'm very much a pantser, but at least I know where the story's kind of going. Uh, but they are getting a heavy rewrite in edit ahead of time. I always relate very, not that I don't relate to plotters. I do to some degree because authors are authors, right? But I, I'm also a discovery writer. True and true. I also don't plan things. 
But I think, and this is where we can lean into, you know, the fact that you have your passion around medieval things and horses that only assists you when you're discovery writing, because you have this wealth of knowledge and passion for a subject. It's so easy just to draw on it and put it into your work, your writing. I think that's what a lot of people don't think about when they think about discovery writers. They're like, oh, I could never yeah. do that. And she's like, you know, we're, just, we're not just winging it, right? We're drawing from lots of past knowledge and infusing it into the story. So Wonderful. having that knowledge is helpful. Um, yeah. How When you were revising, did you feel like after, you know, 12 between 12 and 25, you had a lot of time to gain more knowledge about medieval things and horse care and horse training. So did you infuse a lot more of those things into your book once you learned all of that? Yeah, I definitely infused a lot. And then I think 12 year old me was very uh, over enthusiastic about the amount I knew. And I was like, all right, let's like bring this down. We don't need to get like that in depth in the horse care. No one cares. Like, you know, I had to like make it a textbook when feeding stalls. I'm like, no one cares. Like the scene goes. Uh, <laughs> That's funny. So yeah, it definitely got more refined. And as I get older, you know, I've taught lessons and stuff. So I'm like, okay, here's the basics that people need to know. And that's kind of what I present. I leave like little Easter eggs. If there's horse people, they'll deal with the horse aspect, but it doesn't go as in depth. I'm trying to think. I mean, that that's the type of thing I wouldn't notice as a reader. I would appreciate it though. And I think that's the other thing that, you know, hearing conversations with people who have expertise and they put a lot of information in, it's those little touches that really make a reader trust you as an author. So have you had people give comments about your, like, have people noticed in your books that you have this expertise? I have had a few readers actually reach out on my website and they were like, I'm just curious, what discipline do you have horses in? Or mm. did you used to have horses? Because like, this seems like someone who, who's worked horses before. Um, I had one person reach out and they were they were very upset with, with the fate of a horse and told me that it was just mean because they could tell I had horses. <laughs> I went to my author group, like we had a chat at one point and I was like, this feels mean. And they're like, do it. Wow. <laughs> you know, can't ask authors to just like take it easy on the readers. They won't. No, authors are ruthless. No, if, if we get emotionally devastated, we must. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know that we would want necessarily to go to like a feedback group of just readers because yeah, you know, sometimes that while their feedback is very important. Also, you know, things are done intentionally. It's always, why is it always the fate of animals that people, I mean, not that I'm saying it's not bad because, you know, it's very devastating, but I feel like people care more about the death of animals than they do of, I'm, I'm, I'm just assuming here. Oh, I don't, yeah. you said the fate of the horse. I don't know. Oh, yeah, no, you're on the right track. I figured <laughs> if I don't get way too much in terms of which horse people read it. We don't have to, but, no spoilers. Oh, yeah. But if you, yeah, people are very passionate about that. And I think it's amazing how like the King PTSD. yeah, I wonder if that's what it is. Is that where it's coming from? I kind of wonder sometimes because like that is like as a child that's the only character that ever died was the animal and you're like oh. it's true it was it was devastating to be sure yeah. I, I remember that but anyway we don't have to dive into that topic I just find it fascinating it's one thing that is interesting to me so I want to take, take a step back where you talked a little bit about when you were going through reading your textbook version of horse care and whatever other expertise you had or have um, how do you know what the appropriate level of explanation is for your story. How did you get a feel for that? Um, a really good feel is like, so 
we run an organic farm mm-hmm. and part of that is we have people who volunteer who have no experience who come out and a lot of times they see horses and they're like i want to ride a horse through a field and you kind of have to learn how to communicate with them because like they've maybe never seen a horse in person um so that's kind of the level of communication i try to make it where okay if you just barely brush on the surface i figure fantasy readers actually have a little more experience than that sometimes because you know they'll know the basics of a saddle or at least what a saddle is but i'm not going to go too in depth on like the anatomy of a saddle and it's been really good to have these people who come out to the farm because if you start like going in depth you can see their eyes glaze over i'm like all mm-hmm. right and that's what i want to avoid in readers yeah that's a, that's a really good uh framework to to go with because it, it's so tempting sometimes i've worked with right. other sci-fi authors who are very they've got like three master's degrees in various complicated sciences and they write their books i'm, I'm in a writing group with one of them he's amazing his, his writing is so good but there have been times where i'm just like that's a lot of meaty unnecessary information he's just like i just forget that most people have no idea what these things mean i just like they're interesting to me but it, it doesn't lend to the story. It kind of draws you out of it. I think that's, for me, the distinction yeah. is if it reaches a point where you're drawn out of the story because of it, then that's where it's reached a point. So I agree. If you don't feel intelligent enough to enjoy the fiction, it's only hard. Yes. But, you know, at the same time, adding it helps it, I guess, feel more authentic and yeah. feel more real, realistic. So what do you have? Is this a five book series that you've published? Uh, so it'll be a total of six. Uh, the fifth one is actually, I just got another round of edits back from my final proofreader and the next one I'm hoping will come out next year. This one was supposed to come out next year, but it's ahead of schedule. Not, well, that's a good problem to have. It is. Yeah. It's not a usual problem. And it definitely went ahead of word count goal too. Uh, so it's, it's going to basically be like a toe breaking book, but no. So I think I always love to hear word count goals with with discovery writers because personally I have them and I I'm not great at following them. Do you is, are you the same way or do you feel like you always can fun. keep it within? No. Um, so one of my books is a short fantasy and it's actually hard because people are like, oh, it's really short to be a fantasy. I'm like, it was supposed to be a reader's magnet. So my goal was five thousand. Yeah. It's fifty eight thousand words. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, and I was like, okay, uh, this one that is with the editor right now what the goal was i wanted it longer than the last one so i was like okay if i can reach 190 that would be amazing it's a 200 uh 270 yeah that's impressive so i was like okay that i i can't stay in that limit yeah that was quite the book i've never written anything that long i think the most i've gone to is about 190 uh, but that was with the goal of like 140 so yeah. definitely didn't, <laughs> didn't the last that. one i had the goal was uh 160 and it, it was 180. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds about right. But this is the, the series ender, right? So I mean it's not oh it's not. It's <laughs> 270 five. isn't the series. Oh, that's five. Yeah, so the next one I'm like, it's probably gonna go down in length because I don't think I could do that again. But at the same time, I didn't think I could do that then. So we'll see. I mean, that is that is impressive. Is is it because of I mean, generally, I found with really long books, at least with myself, they tend to be multi perspective, you know, multi POV from different characters. I would imagine it's not just from one person's point of view, is it? Uh, so the only time there's a POV change is the prologue. I do POV oh, changes. And then the rest of the book is just the main character. 
So wow, kind of almost all like a Harry Potter-esque. It's like each year mm-hmm. um, training to be a squire or from Squire to Knight. So each year is another book. They, I, I, just you mentioning that makes me think of, have you ever read things by Tamara Pierce? Yes. Yeah, that just kind of brought back. I'm trying to remember the series. Oh, uh, she's got the first test, and then that goes Page Squire Knight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I'm not I'm not saying uh, it's similar to that, but at the same time, uh, kind of same idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, I read those yeah. when I was a teenager. Great books. Really like those. They are quite yeah. a bit smaller than yours, but uh, the Page Squire series, um, Protector of the Small. I think they get decent size but i don't remember i just remember reading them i don't remember feeling like they were large but yeah. i was just reading them so didn't think much about it that's really great though and not not being a plotter um how I, this is a really hard question to answer but how did you know that there were six books if you didn't know concretely what was going to happen um so it's it helps that childhood me wrote six mm-hmm. oh, uh, okay. the other thing is so it's six years of training so in this fantasy world, it's they start training for knighthood at 12 and then they're knighted at 18. So it's just the years of training. That's perfect. So it's very hard, Harry Potter-esque in that way. Yeah. Which is, which is great. Oh, that, that's fun. So what is has been the favorite part for you in the writing process? What do you enjoy most about writing these? Uh, I really absolutely love doing the character development and I have like different subplots and character twist that you know i'll kind of know like this character's story even if i don't know how it ties in so i'll introduce a character in book one and then book five you'll see them again and something we said in book one makes sense it's the whole uh what can i Chekhov's gun mm-hmm. where it just kind of I, I love leaving those throughout and that's like the only thing i ever know i'm like oh this will come back i don't know how but it's gonna come back that is always the tr- the tricky question is I don't know. It'll come back hopefully. Do you write it down somewhere? How do you remember those things? I used to write it down and then I would lose the paper because I'm really good at that. Um, and then I heard a quote from Stephen King once and I was like, okay, that's fair. And it was, if you have to write it down to remember, it's probably not worth remembering. I didn't know Stephen King said that. I've never heard that before. Yeah. That's... Uh, okay. that, I've said similar thing. I've I've never I've never heard him say that, but it's very for to me that's yeah. logical. I'm the same way. I if you look at my desk, there is no paper. Um, I was actually t- telling my work that I bought this package of pens because I like these fancy G two pens, and um, they're still in the package because I I don't write things down. I never have. And you know I, I I've gone through so many organization recommendation books and things and write things down, write things down, and I'm the same way. And people are always confused when I tell them. Well, what if you get ideas while you're in the shower? I my my motto is if it's important enough to go in the story, I'll remember it when I get there. And if not, yeah. it's not important enough to go in the story. And people have always been so surprised by that. But that's my writing process. That's how it works. So it's it's interesting to hear, you know, that Stephen Seen said that and that you kind of follow the same philosophy. Um, because it works. I mean, your books seem to be it, doing pretty well. Uh, yeah, they've They've been doing decently. It's entertaining. I think the thing I hear most is uh, it's not fantasy. I'm like, it's definitely low fantasy because I am a discovery writer and I wrote six books and then I was like, oh, I forgot magic. That's so, so, that well, that's so interesting. I mean, I love hearing other people's writing process because I don't, to hear a 270,000 word book called low fantasy 
it sounds so interesting, so odd. So if you don't, let's kind of double click on that a little bit. Um, why did you write the content that you did? Is it is it just really deeply rooted in medieval world, medieval problems, medieval lifestyle? And that's because I would still call that high fantasy technically, even without the magic. But maybe, yeah, so maybe you a have a different like, impression. Yeah, that medieval intrigue, uh, political, and just like characters. A lot of the things that you would have faced in a medieval world. Um, mm -hmm. You could almost young adult style, which is hard to think about, a young adult Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. kind of, where It's more like, okay, who's going to get a throne? Who's going to get a crown? And who is this rightful king? Yeah. Um, so that's kind of where it goes more and it it's dives into the characters, dives into these side plots of side characters and how they tie back in mm -hmm. to that like race for a throne. And that's fascinating. You, know, you don't want it and how they're still going to have to be tied back in because there's no way of escaping that kind of responsibility. Well, but I mean the reason I would still deem that this is just Daniel opinion um, yeah. <laughs> that, that I still deem that high fantasy is because it is quite complex. It is, is a really complicated network of so much going on. And I, I'm really interested in how you managed to do this with one person's perspective. Obviously you're bringing inside characters. So there's variability in that front, but my inclination as an author is to leverage other point of views to provide an interesting kind of side turner perspective from a different person's mind. I love writing multi POV things. So for you, how did you ensure that you stayed in main character's head from their perspective? And how did you make that consistent throughout the whole thing? I think a lot of it is, especially starting it out kind of, I aged with my character, which helped because mm. I wrote it between like 12 and 17. That's true. And that definitely helps because it's a lot of the same mindsets that I was going through and then I can just write it into this uh, this character. I've always actually struggled to write multiple POV. Hmm. I'll get like really caught up in one and then I'm like, oh wait, yeah, you know, we've just done like 50,000 words without bringing back this person. I'm like, well, that's difficult. I feel like I'll, I'll lean toward one more than the other. Mm -hmm. uh, so I actually want to learn the multiple POV. And it's just so much easier for some reason to do this solitary. I love that. I think that's, I think it's amazing how every author is so different. I, I'm constantly surprised at hearing other people's writing processes because it's great yeah. to know that there's all sorts of things that work, right? I think there's too many times authors feel forced into a specific way of writing or a specific mindset, but it doesn't have to be that way. You need to do what works for you, where your creativity flows, because the idea of writing a single book that long from one POV makes me, my head explode. I just, I don't know how you can, you can do it. That's so different from what I'm used to. Um, I, I just, I love, not that I don't like reading. I do like to read multi-POV books and find a lot of enjoyment in getting into the heads of these other characters. So my trilogy is from the perspective of three main POVs. And then I pull in side POVs every once in a while where it lends to the story. Um, and I didn't remember having any troubles. It just felt very natural. To say, oh, this yeah. is this needs to be from X person's POV. Um, it helped the two of them kind of traveled together in their journey. So, you know, the story was following kind of the same line, but just passed back and forth between this 25-year-old assassin woman and then this 16-year-old boy. Um, very different perspectives on the situation. So it, it kind of provided that nuance. But then I had a villain POV that I pulled in. Um, 
throughout the whole trilogy, which was so fun. Writing Dylan POVs is a blast. Okay. I, I recommend it. Backstory on much hated characters. So like in my mind, I know like their motives. Mm-hmm. Like, so have you have written? Oh, please, please. Yeah. Oh, no, go ahead. I was saying, have you written any side stories off of these characters? Uh, not yet. I've got a few where I've actually had people reach out and be like, I want a side character story on this villain. I'm like, I probably could, but I also don't want you to like sympathize too much. Oh, yeah. The series is done. Um, and like, I have one villain that people abhor and they're like, well, there's no redemption. And I'm like, oh, well, book six is going to be really entertaining for you because that's like all I know is his final arc. And then it kind of explains why he's this cruel, terrible person. And the reasons that he's continued to keep that up. Mm-hmm. So that's so fun, though. Good. Yeah, I love that, and I also love that you have readers reaching out asking for things. I think that's awesome. Oh yeah, I've I've loved having conversations with, with readers. I have one reader who reached out initially about the horses uh, to let me know that she she's like, oh, I, you know, I found your books and I was traveling all day, so I would just like binge read them. And then I had to ugly cry myself to sleep. And she's like, I used to have horses. And then recently she's, you know, had to like reach out to me and be like, I got a horse again. <laughs> so that is so fun. So it's really cool to connect with people on that. Absolutely. Where's your preferred, how do you meet up with these people? Is that generally for your email list that you're connecting or social media platforms that you're using? Uh, they'll generally email me off like the contact on my website. Um, so yeah, they'll reach out through there i've had a couple reach out on like facebook stuff but i think that they feel like it's easier if they don't have to like see like a red message i don't know if it's mm -hmm. that or if it's, they kind of want that obscurity of email more than social mm -hmm. so it's generally yeah they'll reach out through email i've gotten some beta readers that way and alpha readers which has been phenomenal so yeah those are so important beta alpha right. readers are instrumental in making sure that um your, your work is better you know when we when we write in a box sometimes we forget that you know we're writing a, a textbook <laughs> maybe it's coming off that way and my poor alpha readers they don't get like anything cleaned up i'll literally like write the chapter and like send it to them i'm like here you go Good luck. especially if i get it like finalized because then i can't go back and change it because i know i'll just get caught in that i'm like here you go i can't change it now it's in your hands unless it's awful um, well i mean but at the same time, what are you going to do, right? Like you, you wrote it, you passed it. It's just like, sorry, it is what it is. I'll make it cleaner later. I, I'm with my writing group. I find myself doing that frequently, primarily because of time reasons. Just like, you know, it's my, it's my week to give something. It is what it is. This is a yeah. first draft. Hope it's not too bad. You got to like knock it out, not edit it, not everything, but keep going. That's like yeah. truly think discovery writing. It's not that we don't plot. We just plot with an entire manuscript. Our first mm -hmm. draft is our plot line. Yep. So that being said, I have so many questions. This is amazing. Uh, that being said, how do you feel about the editing process? Do you love editing? Is that something you really enjoy? Oh, good. No, I love this. I hate it too. <laughs> it's awful. It's so I'll bad. Have, I'll have someone be like, you need to like rephrase this. And I will look at a sentence like, there's something like, am I dyslexic? Like, what What am I missing? And then I sometimes do wonder because they'll be like, no, you need to flip flop these. I'm like, it makes sense. They're like, it is. It shouldn't be, is it? I'm like, oh, all right. You know, I'm glad you like spelled it out because I wasn't, I, I can stare at it and not see it. So that's really frustrating. Um, I do a lot of audio edits. So just like okay. the monotone AI voice reads to me. And I'm like, oh, well, shoot. 
that is genius actually I've never I've tried I've tried reading my books out loud it does help me catch some things but like yeah. I can read something out loud and be like oh sounds fine to me like I don't yeah. I don't get it I just flip-flop it which you know even in college I used to tell people I was like it I I can flip-flop things beautifully um when I would take exams I always took them from back to front it's mm-hmm. harder to flip-flop it and I've even done that sometimes editing I'll start with the last chapter and go backwards whoa that's uh, wild. the audio edits are phenomenal okay so, you just have like an AI. What what do you use for that? Uh, I just use like the Word voice. Okay. So if you have Microsoft Word, there's one. If you have an Apple computer, you can like highlight and then you can change the voices more. There's more mm-hmm. options because uh, of the screen reader mm. for accessibility. What do you do while it's reading to you? Um, I find a way to stay entertained. So I know like my dad, he writes to, he writes Westerns. And okay. he'll like stare at the screen. I'm like, I can't do that. Like, I, I just can't sit still like that. If I'm not writing, I'm not sitting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have like canvases, I'll paint or I'll get Legos up because I'm a small child at heart still. I love so, that. Yeah. So yeah. So I'm like, I need something to keep my hands entertained and I can listen and just be like, oh, that was wrong. No, that's actually so, okay. I'm so fascinated by this concept because I feel like my wife is, I'm bringing her into this because she and I are very different people in a positive way. You know, we, we jive very well together, but she's very much like, I don't understand how you can do something else and still listen to something else. And I've tried to explain to her, I can listen better if I'm not just sitting there. If I'm just sitting there, my mind is like flying all over the place. I need to be tinkering, building with Legos, drawing something. And it's hard for her because, you know, when she's talking to me, I'm going to have so much better time remembering the things we talk about if I'm not just sitting. But, you know, she feels like I'm not listening. Like, I swear, I promise I'm I'm listening. I just, I have to be doing something. So what kind of things do you paint while you're listening? Is this like about your books or just random stuff that you doodle? This kind of random. Uh, the latest one I've been working on is like, because I'm very much a Harry Potter nerd, but the Black Family Tree. Oh, nice. So like, I've been painting that. Um, I have several like horse paintings or uh, I've got a painting of my dog. I have to like- I was going to ask, was that you? Was that your- Yeah, so that oh, one cool. up there, I. I did that. And then, yeah, so it, it's just a selection of like random things. But, you know, um, leveraging I, your creativity in lots of different ways. I, I definitely understand. I have to have my hands busy. Uh, when I was in college, I think I used to drive my professor's nuts because I had to doodle the entire time. It's not just notes. Like I'll take notes and then other times I'll just doodle. Yeah. I literally have been opening and closing this the entire time. I have to be yeah. moving my hands. I have to pick something quiet. Otherwise, I just really struggle to sit still. <laughs> Listen. Yeah. If I'm like, if I have a paper napkin, I have to like remind myself not to like pull apart the ply. Yeah. It's so oh hard. Gosh. That's so, so yeah. funny. So I can relate to all of these things. Um, but as, as much as I want to dive down this route, I do want to step back into the whole medieval love passion thing, because I was looking at your website, seeing the art there and seeing you, you've been you've done very well at bringing this world. I can't remember the name of it. I, I knew it. What's the no. name of say? Alamore. Alamore. I just found it, right? As you said that. Bringing Alamore to us, you know, making, just flourishing it and making it not your author brand, because you're going to write more, right? This is just one series. You're going to write more, but at the same time, bringing it forward and just making it a part of you, making it a part of your reader's experience. How did you go about doing that? And why did you go about doing that? I figure right now, like the world of Alamore is very much my focus. And Mm -hmm. 
I kind of, I want to give people who are enjoying it more mm-hmm. so that they can actually, you know, sometimes you finish a book and you just want to go find more about it. Do not mm-hmm. like quite, you can't disconnect those characters yet. And I know like you can go search the author's website and if they have a lot of series, sometimes it's just, they'll just have that series like on a tab and go, I'm here. And it's almost disappointing because you want to continue to connect. You want to like, okay, how does this author envision the characters? Um, so I've kind of branded my author name to this because mm-hmm. I, I connect very much with my characters and sharing that with the readers. Well, I mean, you you wrote a 270,000 book be going along with these characters. So, I mean, you, it's like you have to get it out. It's almost like a therapeutic way to get these things out and, and might as well share it with people because why that's not? Definitely. I think that's so cool. So do you, did you do, I see there's quite a bit of art on there. Some of it's AI, which I totally appreciate. I used mid journey. I quite find it quite fun. Yeah. I, I enjoy it a lot. Have you done a lot of this art yourself or do you commission other artists for that? Uh, majority has been mid journey. I, I found some people on Fiverr and I reached out and then they, they sent it back and I was like, are you using mid journey? They're like, actually, yes. I'm like, all right, I'm just going to, I'm just going to go back and use my subscription. Thank you. That's funny. I mean, so um, a lot of it has been mid journey and I know there's like a lot of controversy in AI in the author world, especially or artist world in general. So that always makes me a little hesitant on it. Uh, But at the same time, like this is a really easy way to envision because that's something else that I struggle with is actually envisioning. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm like, I can describe the scene, but I might not see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm I like, okay, imagine. I need like 500 prompts to know what this character looks like. I'm going to see yeah. him. Like, oh yeah, that's him, but I might not know. Mid journey has been fun, and I, I, yeah. look, I understand the controversy behind it. I have no issues with it. I've used it quite a bit. I enjoy it a lot. Um, there's obviously a use for everything, so that we could cool. dive into the efficacy of of mid journey and AI, but I don't want to do that today. Yeah. Uh, so were your covers influenced by AI as well, or were those commissioned by an artist? Uh, those are also influenced by AI. And then I take a lot of those and I will also alter Photoshop, use stock imagery and kind of incorporate. Um, so I have like procreate on my iPad and I can go through and be like, okay, this is kind of what I want and take it from there. Oh, cool. So did you do your, your covers yourself then? Yeah, it's like a combination. Like, oh, I'll take my AI and then alter it accordingly. So I have no issues with that. I'm gonna say I think it's cool. Oh, yeah. I think that's oh. amazing. Cause I, you know, I wrote a short story recently and I did I have an image that I want to use on the cover um that I made with Midjourney, yeah. but there's so much to learn to turn that into a cover. I feel like you've done very well. They look very great for a cover. Right. And I I you know, I yeah. didn't initially think those were AI. I only thought yeah. about it because you mentioned, oh, I mostly use AI. So I, I love it. I think using oh, yeah, no, resources. I'm, I definitely, so like I'll take multiple images through AI and uh, Photoshop and just, I'm like, okay, let's take the pieces I like, merge them together, you can blend them. So it, it truly is like a mashup. And I, again, there's a lot of controversy behind it. I do think mm. that it's hard because it's kind of the direction the world is going. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know they talked about that a lot at 20 books last year. Um, and I, I definitely go to those, those meetings. So I'm like, this is, you know, I, there's always a part of me that's like very opposed to change. And I, I know myself, I'll like plant my feet. I'm like, okay, that, that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. 
So. Yeah, absolutely. For me, it's just kind of a steep learning curve because the cost yeah. of everything is only rising. And, you know, we don't have oh, to get into the economy. The economy is wild right now. Yeah. Um, but the cost of publishing is not cheap. <laughs> it's, no. it's expensive. I so, covers, please, yeah. yeah, I commissioned Photoshop covers initially. So my original covers and they just weren't eye catching. Mm. Every cover went up by like $40. And it was yeah. Photoshop, very basic covers. So I was like, ouch, this is starting to hurt. Mm-hmm. And then I commissioned someone to create one and it didn't capture the image and it went over budget. Mm-hmm. And then I got quotes from like artists where I was like, Oh, I like this. I had one person and they're like, Oh, you know, if you agree to do all six, I can cut you a deal and do it for 30,000. I'm like, no. That's amazing. I mean, see, and that's the thing. And I just want to put the plug in here for, you know, anybody who's upset by AI doesn't understand the reality of it's either AI or nothing, at least with a lot of particularly, you know, newer authors like ourselves. It's, you know, I can either use mid journey or go with nothing because I, I'm sorry, I can't afford to commission you. It's just the reality of the situation. It's not like I'm replacing you because I wouldn't hire you anyway. It's I'm replacing nothing with ai <laughs> because exactly yeah it's just anyway it's just that, that for me that's why the contrary isn't such a big deal and it's one of those things exactly. where you, you use your resources effectively uh, there are ways to game the system but i think generally most people aren't trying to they're just trying no, to make it, their it tools makes publishing more accessible mm-hmm. to all incomes and i actually do appreciate that aspect of it i think that it, it's phenomenal because you know i definitely when i started out like paying $80 for a Photoshop book cover with like free stock images. I was like, Oh, this hurts. Like, here's my mm-hmm. money. But you know, and then when you start getting into like $5,000 covers so that you can start, you know, kind of competing against your own genre or competing to stay in that genre, I don't really ever see authors as competition again. So I'm like, okay, like I know my budget. I know I can't. Oh, that's a whole controversy that I think is silly, but we don't have to get into that. The whole the, the your digital marketer you understand topics and uh being an author that are always out there <laughs> there's always so many well we are running short on time so i i would love to keep diving into see but we'll have to come back again sometime and dive into some of the topics because i would love to discuss them but yeah. before we end here where can people find more information about you and your books if they want to check them out uh so the website's usually the best place to either get a hold of or get more information, and that is cjrisley.com. Uh, the books are also on Amazon, and a few of them are on Audible. More will be moving that way. Uh, mm-hmm. Got one of them currently with a narrator. So, how oh, cool! Love that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. This has been amazing. Thank you. Now, I hope you learned something from that because what I came away from that conversation with C or with Katie is that your expertise in any field or any area can really lend to the validity of your story, regardless of what it is. Um, you know, we have a lot of this knowledge we've gained out of interest or just randomly throughout our years. 
And that is any type of information, as long as it fits within the realm of your world, then you can leverage that to add, you know, humor, add perspective, add validity, like I said before, to your story. So definitely don't downplay your random interests and in, say maybe how Crayola crayons are made or uh, maybe how to properly take care of goats and chickens, possibly even chicken butchering. Now, I haven't leveraged that bit of knowledge or expertise in my books very often. But hey, who knows? It'll come up. Maybe I can add it to uh, some of my stories. And once again, add that validity, those very poignant descriptions for for your experiences with those things. I think it could add a lot to the story. But definitely don't downplay any piece of information that, that you have. So next week, we'll be talking to ZS Diamante about how to build the foundation for an author, business, and career. We talk a little bit about setting up your website, setting up everything to work nicely together, back of book matter, how to engage and create a community. It's a really great discussion. Um, Zach is a really positive person. He's done amazing with his debut novel release, and he has a lot of insight for you if you want to you know, move forward, if you want to do something, however... Um, you know, however little, however large, however large with your author business. So you want to tune into that conversation next week. If you're an author or if you're a publisher or if you have a friend or a family member who is an author or publisher or editor or anything related to publishing, definitely let them know about the podcast. Share with your friends where you can. Um, and definitely let them know they can join me on the podcast if they head to thecasualauthor.com. They can join me there. The other thing I will say is uh, the YouTube channel is becoming a little bit more active. Uh, you can see that I've kind of stepped away from social media for my own mental health, as well as from an organizational standpoint. I have not <laughs> managed my time super effectively with social media. Now, it's not to say that I've given up on it completely, but I think I need to have a different perspective and strategy coming into it. So I'm stepping away for you know months, possibly a year who knows i'll keep them open but you will unlikely see me posting there youtube is where you want to be this episode if you're watching on youtube great if not if you're listening then you may want to head over to the casual author it's a youtube channel and there i post not only these episodes in video format but also i will post other videos author updates um helpful information book box openings those types of things so join me on youtube if you like being on that platform thanks again for joining me today and i look forward to talking to you next week